one night the one night I need like 30 seconds and you're early. <laughs> oh. I see how it is. I'm going to wrap um, this thing up so I can go to bed. <laughs> Those 9 o'clock tips are uh, no longer good for you, huh, buddy? <laughs> no, man. I hear that, brother. Well, I where we're gonna have to we're gonna have to be inter, in, entertaining, and engaging. Cause we have no Ferber tonight to like, because I think that you know, let's be real. The people listen because of him. I mean, let's be real. You know, what was that one post that time that said he's the talent or something like yeah, that? Yeah, the talent. The talent. The talent. Today. The talent is not here, guys. <laughs> you're you're just stuck with us. CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin State's in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, February the 8th. Cavaliers coming off of a pretty, you know, pretty solid uh, 63-50 to victory over the Wolfpack of North Carolina State. Cavaliers had a, you know, got a nice night from Jaden Gardner. He of, uh, you know, Wake Forest uh, um, roots and such. Um coincidentally enough, even though they didn't talk about this on the broadcast, but more than happy to tell you how many numerous times that Casey Marcel transferred from UVA that Jaden Garden actually chose UVA over NC State when he was transferring from ECU. But, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't know anything about that if all you did was listen to the broadcast. Um, anyway, 18 points on 6 of 12 from the field, 6 of 6 from the free throw line, 5 boards. Nice night for, for Gardner. Beekman had 15. Shedrick comes off the bench 10 and 6. We will no doubt be talking about him. Um, before we get started in earnest, let's go around and introduce everybody. For this evening, at least, everybody is one David Spence, the board moderator du jour himself in Fishersville. How are you, my friend? Good. I'm not the talent, but I'm good. <laughs> who days on the board at who days on Twitter? <laughs> well done. Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional witty banter. Uh, Ferber will be back with us next week. Logistics and such um, made his uh, appearance on this here program um impossible this here evening so um all right so yeah 60 what was it sorry 6350 um i thought there were times in that second half where i, I got a little nervous just got not, not not like not like super nervous not like um um not like really actually worried but like worried that it was going to be a time to worry if that makes any sense like the, whatever the precursor is to that feeling that you get when you know the thing is slipping away that that's what i had um and yet uva never really let them get but so close i don't think the lead ever got below like nine um i i thought you know kihei clark despite only scoring six points he was 0 of one from three which we will discuss in a second uva's three-point shooting in this game um, he had six assists. Um, I thought Shedrick off the bench was great. Um, I, I thought McNeely um, was really good in a variety of ways. Um, Dave, let's start here. In, in terms of this victory, um, coming after the tech loss, you know, relatively short turnaround. Um, but I guess maybe that's more normal to go from 
you know, two, two, three days, whatever it was. Um, did this, I guess the question is the tech loss took a little bit out of the account and this puts some back in the account. Is it a net positive for you or considering that tech is getting beaten, at least as we discuss, uh, things right here, um, right now at home by BC, uh, I guess, where does this, where do you fall on the spectrum? Were you still a little bit concerned, even though they beat NC state, did the win over state matter more to you, I guess, than the loss to tech did? How do you feel about things? I mean, I never want to lose the tech. Um, you know, I had the, I wasn't able to watch that game, um, you know, live. So by the time I watched it, I, uh, I already knew what happened. So I, I watched it without the emotion. Right. So, um, I was, I was concerned, like reading everyone's reaction to it before I got a chance to watch the game. Um, you know, Virginia just had some cold spells and their defense kind of slipped up, but you know, they got behind and cut it twice. I thought the effort was there. Just the execution wasn't. Um, so if there was a concern, it's probably the same concern we've had all year, which is the offense at times has covered up a defense. that's not up to what we've become accustomed to the last decade. Um, and, you know, if, if you look, listen to Tony in that presser last night, clearly that's what he talked about, you know, between, between the two games. And I thought the effort last night from start to finish saved maybe a two or three minute stretch there in the second half. Um, but even that stretch state made some tough shots, you know, guys are going to do that. Um, clearly like they, they played harder on defense and, you know, when you do that, you know, much to what Tony tells us year after year. Um, your offense doesn't have to be as dialed in, you know, defense, <laughs> you don't need to score 80 points if the other team can't. So, you know, while I was discouraged by the tech result, um, ultimately, you know, it, it's all about what comes from it. Um, you know, the, uh, and the response we saw against NC state to me said, Hey, this team, this team understands you know, Tony understands the defense is going to be important and whatever he did in the practice the last few days, these guys understood it too. I think that there's, well, I want to come at this from two different angles. Okay. One, I think that there's a balance that you have to strike as a fan in, in February, March, right? There are going to be times where your team is not going to look that great and you have to not overreact. And there are going to be times where your team looks great and you kind of have to not overreact. And we talked a lot, I feel like, this season um, about sort of the idea of trying not to be such a uh, prisoner of the moment, right, of trying to keep things in perspective. You know, we've talked about this team in really lofty ways. We've talked about this team when they were um, struggling a little bit and, you know, been super concerned. And the reality, as Tony likes to say, is you can't let the highs get too high and the lows get too low, right? Now, the second piece of this is, to your point about sort of the message that they got, I think that that was both really well, like really what they were very well prepared going into this game. They certainly had a game plan. I think they all, um, I think there's just a natural maybe sort of thing that comes with when you start to win a bunch, you sort of, it's, I think it's human to just sort of expect like, Oh yeah, we're going to go out there. We're going to do our thing and we're going to win. Like that's just sort of human. And if you have a team that just kind of doesn't go away and some of the shots aren't falling, you know, that's just the way it goes. Right. What I found really interesting about this game is, one, I think NC State's extremely talented, especially if you let the Wolfpack do what they do, right? 
Um, but I think Virginia completely disrupted this. Basically, I, I think what happened is that Virginia did to NC State last night what Tech in some ways did to Virginia on Saturday afternoon, right? Just completely punched them right in the mouth. And, you know, Burns is, is, is such a huge part of the puzzle for them, and he just was not able to get any traction. Um, the Smith kid got going eventually, but hell, he took 20 shots, right? He didn't even yeah. score 20 points. Now, Casey Morsell, which we're going to come back to in a little bit, you know, he had a very nice night. 18 points on 6 of 11, shooting at four of his nine three-point attempts. Um, he had three rebounds. He did foul out. Um, but I, I just think that overall what Virginia did in this game was sort of be the better version of itself defensively than we've seen. And that sort of showed that even against a good team, they didn't need to make a bunch of threes. Now, there's going to be nights when you are the better version of yourself defensively and you still need to hit some of those threes. They're, they're not going to be able to go two of eight um, from three in many games, right, and and win by 13. That's just – especially in the league, I don't care who you're playing, right? That's just not going to happen, right? And the fact that only yeah. Isaac McNeely, he's the only player who made a three from Virginia's uh, team. They, you know, two of eight, 25%, but they were 44.7 from the floor. Um, they got 18 points off the bench. They were had a 32 to 12 advantage in the paint. They actually had nine to two advantage in fast break points. Um, they only turned the ball over five times and only allowed NC State to score four points off of those five turnovers. That efficiency is what makes up for that lack of three-point shooting. And what's funny, dude, is that I don't think you I don't think the inverse is true. I don't think in a game where if you're not playing well defensively, you can't you're not going to be able to do a bunch of other stuff. But hey, we just shot some threes and everything was fine. I think this is a this is a classic UVA game, right? In the sense that like did they score enough points? Absolutely, right? They had a 34-point first half. Now, Granted, the second half wasn't as you know as fun to watch, and certainly NC State, um, you know, had a you know had more success um, against that defense. But still, I thought this was very Virginia, you know, gritty defense had a game plan, executing it. Got you know guys who weren't necessarily um, contributing contributed all of a sudden. Um, I, I just thought it was a nice, really sort of like team effort, but in the sense of like. And I don't mean that in just the guys on the floor. I'm talking about like the whole program. You could tell that these dudes were prepared. They executed at a high level, and State just didn't really know, um, you know, what to do in a lot of those situations. Yeah, I mean, I think it it gets easy during the minutia of the season to to overreact to every game. Um, yeah, like for you sure. Said, it's, um, but you know, it, it's a long season. You know, they're going to play at least thirty games this year, um, and that's with one being canceled you're going to have nights where so-and-so is off or where you lean a little more on the two point shot than the three point shot. Um, and you know, that's something we've talked about with this roster, you know, while it might not have a perfect starting five, it's got versatility, um, so that you can put out a couple of very good options, you know, several even, um, you know, you know, the key being the culture that we hear so much about the pillars, you know, for a guy like Caden to not play at all at tech and then come in and, you know, despite, you know, what message board said and, you know, social media said about him playing and all that stuff. Um, clearly he was a guy who didn't hang his head. You know, he came out and and delivered and made a huge impact in that game because, you know, BVP had kind of been taken advantage of the first couple of possessions with NC State. You know, Burns had backed him down once and then scored on him again. You know, Caden kind of came in and settled the defense down and then, 
you know, that kind of opened a lot of stuff up for UVA as the game went on. And, you know, you just look at the scoring from, from the state game, like, you know, Franklin didn't score at all, if I remember correctly. And um, maybe had a layup, but I don't have my thing in front yeah, of me. Yeah, Franklin had two in this game, two points. He was 0-5 from the field, just two free throws. Two free throws, so yeah. yeah. And then BVP, I think, scored like one of the first couple buckets of the game and yeah. didn't really score again. Four points on um, two or three shooting, 0 of one from three. Yeah, so, you know, when you hold a team <laughs> to 50 points, like you can do that, right? So, um, like, I think there's plenty to be encouraged about. I think we as you know, I think any fan base is guilty of it. Like it kind of reminded me last night during and it's random, but remember when Duke was just dominating the ACC for however many years that was, you know, Virginia, this is pre Tony, maybe early Tony, um, you know, Duke would have games where it looked like they were playing, you know, their stars weren't showing up, but yeah. they'd always manage to win. Um, you know, Virginia, when they're good, they, they, they're that team and, I think that takes something, you know, with yeah. still so many new pieces, that's something this team is going to continue to learn as they, you know, what there's seven games left in the ACC, I believe. So yeah. um, they've got, you know, they've made progress from where they were beginning of the year. Um, and they had that little midseason lull, but you know, eight of the last nine, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. I, I think what's, what's, what's interesting to me too, is your, your point about Duke and sort of the way that it basically when good teams are good, um, they just have a way of, you know, manufacturing those wins. Right. And, and realistically, like most of Tony's run, that's been quintessential UVA, right? Not always the prettiest doesn't, you know, doesn't always happen the way you expected it to, but they figure out a way. Right. And I, I think that one of the reasons why, that little lull, right? They lose to Houston. Uh, they go down to Miami and they lose back-to-back games. They get wins over Albany and Georgia Tech, and then they go to Pittsburgh and lose. So to lose three out of five in a season after Baylor, after Illinois, um, after the Michigan win, you know, you're everybody was hopped up, excited to to go to you know to play Houston and go into that matchup. And I think for a lot of people that like that really dampened things because when you're so used to winning, right? You're so used to winning, and all of a sudden you don't. You don't really, like, it's not the same anymore. And you can't really remember what it's like to be like, oh, yeah, that's right, there's just a bunch of games, right? So then they come off and they roll off seven wins in a row, which is, you know, great. And they came out in Blacksburg and didn't look great. Um, And I think that for a lot of folks, as we, you know, we talk a lot, like I said, about the whole, like, trying to not be prisoners of the moment. Like, it's really difficult not to, like, watch these things and come away with thinking, like, okay, well, what am I supposed to feel about that? Like, how, how do I feel? Your point about, um, like, Caden Shedrick earlier, right? You said, you know, if, you know listen to the people on message boards. All right, I, I want to I have a real honest conversation about this because I don't think people who were concerned were necessarily wrong. And I also don't think that they were right. And I count myself among that because I'm going to be honest. I watched some of those games and I thought, dude, he something is up like this does not look normal like he doesn't look anything like the dude we saw earlier in the season like there were some of those early season games granted against different kinds of competition right where he was just in a completely different stratosphere I mean he was just in complete beast mode on both ends of the floor you just felt like he could kind of do whatever he wanted um and you know over time like it felt like that just slipped and slipped and slipped and slipped and then all of a sudden it was just like so far away you couldn't even see it anymore so for him to come off the bench in this game, to contribute as he did, like I said, 10 points, 3 of 5 shooting, he was 4 of 6 of the line, he had 6 boards, he plays 26 minutes. Um, just to put, kind of put that in context, all right, 
Caden plays 26 minutes against uh, NC State. He's also a, a Carolina kid. Um, that is the most he, he scored. He's sorry, most he, most minutes he's played in an ACC game since the Pittsburgh loss when he played 27. Before that, he hadn't played more minutes except for against Houston. Matter of fact, 26 minutes is the most he's played in the last three games combined. He didn't play at all against Virginia Tech. He had 11 against Syracuse. He had 15 against Boston College. So you put you put all of that together. I mean, look, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, Florida State, in the minutes played there, he had a total of 12. Okay? Yeah. This is – for him to come in and be as important in this game as he was – one, I think, says a lot about the program and the culture, to your point earlier. Like, the fact... I mean, I'm not saying that, like, at the end of the year, the kid might not transfer. It, 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 we oh, are yeah, in the transfer sure. portal era, so you can never say never when it comes to dudes, right? Um, but to see him stick with it, take control of his opportunity, make the most of it, and and in addition to that, from a personal standpoint, from the teams, he was absolutely critical. Like, part of the reason Virginia was able to kind of win this thing easily is because of him, right? Because he had kind of clicked back into giving them what they had early in the year. And I don't think, given what we saw last night, that we that we should expect UVA to scrap a lot of the small ball stuff that they've been doing to that interior offense. But it yeah. what it does do is it gives you a lot more confidence. If you look at some of the teams coming down the pike, right? And you look at what the schedule says is coming Virginia's way. Not only Duke on Saturday, but then you get Carolina later in the year, Clemson. Um, listen, there are going to be some teams where it would be probably in your best interest to have a longer, bouncier dude. Um, and Shedrick is exactly what they needed. And man, that felt it, it was really good to see. And I understand, like I understand why, like some people were really concerned, and I understand why they were voicing that concern. Um, they were right, I think, to voice concerns. I don't think they were right to take it to the conclusions that some folks did. And that's a good lesson for all of us um, in the sense that, like, you know, if there's anything we've learned about Virginia basketball, is that Tony can figure out how to get to a kid. Um, you know, uh, yeah. it, it, it doesn't necessarily happen on our timelines, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it happens in theirs. And that's that's really interesting to see. And it really does kind of speak to, like you said, that culture piece. Yeah, and, you know, in the Caden piece, like he, uh, look, I don't want to call him one dimensional, but he kind of is, right? You know, you, you need him to be good on defense when he's on the floor because he's not going to give you a lot on offense that makes it hard for the other def, you know, the other team to defend you. Um, he's kind of a, you know, he, he's a rebound guy, he's a lob guy. Um, and, you know, at times when he's not locked in on defense, he also doesn't play as well on the offensive end. He's certainly a guy who who draws his motivation from how he's performing defensively. Um, and running that middle triangle, like if he's going to be in, he's got to be setting good screens. He's got to be active. Um, so when he's off defensively, like he's been at some of the games he's been in, you know, for short stints, you know, it's understandable why Tony has a short leash with him because he's not, helping you on the offensive side you know you, you can't expect with so much there's not so much upside upside to justify when he's struggling defensively um you know like last night you know bvp struggled early and he went out quick um but even you know and you can argue about how many minutes he should be getting and I, look I, i'm not ready to say he should have just minutes cut but um Obviously, with Jaden playing well and what we've seen out of Dunn, I think, you know, maybe at some point BVP's got to stop playing 25, 30 minutes a game like he did during this last stretch. Um, but 
that said, when he's struggling a little bit defensively, um, you know, at least on offense, when he's been good, you're, you're, you're helping open the lane and keep the other guys active and that kind of thing. So, um, but look, it, it's a long season. You got to hope everyone stays bought in when they can't get minutes. Cause Dunn had what, maybe two or three minutes last night. Um, so there's going to be games like that. It's just the way the season goes. Um, and certainly, as you said, lots of opponents with big men coming up, you know, whether it's Filipowski or, or, or Baycott, like, um, and then what hall at Clemson. Yeah. It, you're going to need all hands on deck. Um, yeah. And, and the thing is weird about Clemson. Yeah, exactly. And I completely agree. Because if you think about Clemson, it's not just that, you know, they've got PJ Hall, who is that kind of you would really rather have a guy with some length and some bounce to him to to defend him. But Hunter Tyson's six eight and the Shefflin kid plays bigger than six seven. He's just kind of got that like old manish sort of game to him, you know? Um yeah. so I mean there you know, Clemson has a little bit of length. Um that can bother you if you're not careful. And to your also too, like, you know, listen, the Filipowski kid is real good. Like he's finally getting to a place. I think this season where he sort of fits what, what I combine with that other kid. Like exactly. That's a big challenge. Exactly. You put him with the lively kid who is at seven one. He's athletic and he's, he's really sort of figuring out where his role is on this team. That Carolina game, I think, for him was a revelation. Listen, I know they went down to Coral Gables and got boat raced. I'm not trying to ignore that that happened. But I, I still think that from a talent standpoint, the reason Miami won that game is not because Duke stinks. Miami won that game because they punched him in the mouth and then kept punching, right? But with with this Duke team, when you've got Filipowski at 7 foot and Lively at 7-1 and the um, Mitchell kid at 6-8, and you've also got the uh, young kid at 6-10, um, you, you know, they've got, they've got a lot of size and that, and Shedrick's being able to come in and play like he played, it changes the calculus some, and it makes UVA a much more dangerous squad, right? Because real talk, if all they had to roll out there, okay, was, you know, Gardner's what, six, six on a good day, right? Vanderplas, I think they list him at, where they list him at six, eight. I don't think there's any chance he's really, he's more like six, seven and a half, right? Um, we know Clark is, is a smaller guy. Beekman and, and Franklin are, what, 6'3", 6'4". Um, Shedrick is really the guy that gives them any sort of length, other than maybe when you put Ryan Dunn in the, in the mix, and he's he's 6'8", but he plays bigger than that because of his athleticism. Yeah, his um, horizontal equals his vertical. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> but so so I, I, think what I'm, I think what I'm trying to um, get at here, and I'm not necessarily sure if I'm doing a good job, is like as a fan – you know, it can be challenging to like find your joy, right? Um, to find the joy that that is in the pursuit, as Tony likes to say. And what I find really fascinating about this team is that, like, I think we've had a pretty good idea all season long who Virginia was. The question was, who can they be, right? And mm-hmm. we have talked about that a lot on this program. We have talked a lot about sort of like, well, there's this, and but this is a problem, or oh, they're they're figuring that out. And then when they went small, like, okay. The trick, though, is that you can't do everything all the time, right? You have to be so uber talented, right, to be able to just flex the, the same muscle all the time and be able to be good, right? You think about that national championship team, right? If you go back and you look at some of the, um, you know, some of the games that Virginia won that season, right? Um, oh, yeah. And, and look at, you know, granted, they, they rolled off, what, 16 wins in a row before they lost to Duke, 
Um, yeah. But even in the tournament, same thing. Yeah, exactly. See, so that's my point. Is that like, you know, they, they won scoring 70, 63, 53, 80, 63, 85, right? They, it wasn't necessarily the same thing every night. They figured it out. The thing that did matter for them, of course, is that their defense was elite. Um, and they played, uh, they played it so consistently that essentially it could make up the difference. And we've, and we've, we've seen these teams since then that either had varying degrees of that, uh, that defensive um, eliteness, right? That that could either counteract their offensive woes, um, or or shine a light on the fact that their offensive woes were were too great. Um, mm-hmm. This team, I think, is one where, typically speaking, the offensive end is going to be why they win the game, right? But I think that the defensive end for this squad, if they can play, even if they're not quite as good as they were last night, right? If they can play something resembling that if they can stay away from the you know even a half of like what they played in Blacksburg you know where teams are just eating them up inside and they're able to sort of uh, mix and match based on matchups as Tony sort of wants to do if they're able to do that that is the thing I think that that most people overlook which is it's not so much about putting just your dudes out there and going to do what you do it's being able to have a counter to whatever the other team wants to do right that's been Tony's calling card for so long. He talks all the time, you know, different guys, different nights. You know, you got to be ready when your number's called, all that stuff. And, like, what you saw them do last night is exactly that. Armand Franklin has a terrible game offensively. Vanderplas isn't scoring anything, right? Clark isn't really scoring anything. Yet they're able to win in a walk against a team that scores 80 points a night. Why? Because their defense was at a whole other level. They were able to really limit them. Um, state finishes eight of 27 from three only shoots 33% from the floor. I mean, they must've missed, you know, 10 bunnies, but even if, you know, even if that's the case, I think a lot of it is because UVA just really rattled them. And I thought Virginia did yeah. a nice job in that second half, even when things weren't easy of never panicking. You never got, even though I was, fe- even though personally I was feeling, I was feeling like, Hey, can we not like do, um, I never got the sense that the guys on the floor were panicked. Like they didn't look worried, you know? Um, and I think that's a that's a good sign. Yeah, and it's a, it was another example of what we've seen over the years where, um, you know, I know people get frustrated sometimes with Virginia, you know, taking 20 seconds every possession. But when they do it like they were doing it, especially the first half last night, where they're working the ball and moving it and making NC State work that hard on the defensive end, like that affects you, your def- – that helps your your own defense, right? We, we've seen it for 10 years now. Um, and, you know – that I think is something that we often overlook, you know, it's how much the offense ties into the defense. But um, the other piece on this team is, you know, it's funny you brought up the championship team because uh, I was bored Sunday with no football and watched a lot of like, you know, condensed stuff from, from that season. And you kind of forget because you, you know, you cut the nets down, like even that team with those stars, like has every team has three or four moments you know, three or four minute stretches during a game where they're, Uh where they struggle on one end and it leaves the easy points on the other. Um, But it kind of struck me, like, obviously we don't have, look, you know, Key and Hunter, no offense to BVP and Gardner. That's not, (laughs) they aren't those guys, right? Right. But, you know, that team had the big lineup and the small lineup um, and it took both to win. And I think, you know, if there's something you want to be encouraged about, it's, you know, if a guy can go a couple games without playing and still give you that kind of effort, you know, if everyone does that, this team will be better come March and April. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it, it's, 
it's also hard to win in the ACC, you know, on the road. Just because yeah. we've done it so much doesn't mean it's it's not. And Tech, look, Tech played their tails off. Um, yeah, they really. And there did. was a there was a couple of shots. I felt like I think when Virginia cut it to two in the first half, I think they had a shot to take the lead. Like it just felt like if Virginia made that shot, maybe maybe the Tech starts to loosen up, but just wasn't meant to be. And even in that game that you know felt like a a blowout, you know, Virginia cut the lead twice. So I think there's positive to be gleamed out of it. Um, I mean, I prefer Virginia just walk over everyone all year long, but that's just not how it happens, you know. So to put this in context, the kind of conversation we're having here, um, in the national championship season, in the middle of February, Virginia played a game against Notre Dame and won 60-54, to okay? Now, not two months later, they cut down the nets, Scored 85 points, yes, technically in overtime, but still 85 points against what people at the time were saying was like the greatest defense in the history of humanity, right? Like, I, I think there are always going to be those ebbs and flows, right? That year, they also, they 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 won in Raleigh 66-65 in OT, right? They only scored 56 points against Miami the next game out before they lost to Duke by 10 at home, right? Um there are going to be games where it's just going to be kind of gross. You know, that team, the difference was they won some games just going away, right? They beat Georgia Tech by 30. They beat Pittsburgh that year, 73 to 49. Um, you know, earlier in the year, they blasted Notre Dame 82 to 55. But yeah, I don't want perfect... people to think we're comparing these two yeah, teams. Yeah, no, and I, I guess what, I'm, what I'm trying to say here is that, like, all, even when, you're, when you have a great team, a championship level team, you have these kind of games that are just kind of weird, right? To put that even in starker context, right? Like that Notre Dame game I mentioned where Virginia only scored 60 points and, and won by six, right? They scored 82 on them in South Bend, okay? And 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 won 82-55, right? So that's the same team, right? They come home and they only score 60 against them a couple weeks later. So, I mean, even it, it happens to the best of the best. So it's obviously going to happen to teams like Virginia, which, again, I think we're very clear on what this team is. The question is, what can they be? You know, yeah. have they have they put enough together going into the stretch run, you know, in the next you know month or so, that the ceiling has been lifted, or is is the is the is the floor still where it was? Right. I mean, because ultimately, like, what you really want to do is you want to have. Um, a small you want to lift the floor and you want to have a, a small amount you know what i'm saying like you really want to be able to get to that ceiling as often as you can that's the dream everybody has right it's not realistic and i think as you look around the league which kind of is a nice segue to something else i wanted to talk about tonight you look around the league and i mean okay pittsburgh has been pretty good um by and large right still the same team that that lost to vcu still the same team that lost to vanderbilt right They've got uh, what three, um, three losses right yeah. now in conference. Um, Clemson, Duke, and Florida State. I mean, lost to Florida State at home. Like every every team in this in this league is is flawed on some level, right? You look at Clemson's resume. You look at Pitt's resume. You look at Miami. You look at UVA. Obviously, Duke and Carolina both just got boat raced in each of their last two games. It's a very odd year, and I and I understand a lot of us struggle. <laughs> a lot of us struggle when there's like no clear. I mean, like I think we understand who the top teams are, but we don't know necessarily if they're going to be the top teams each night. Um, and that is very strange because essentially they're going to beat up on a lot of folks, 
and and run up some gaudy records, that group of, of four or so. But any night, it could be one of those weird nights, just like it was for UVA and Blacksburg on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jenny's 10-3 and three in the ACC. Um, that's pretty good. Like, I'm not... A guy my age is never going to sleep on that. Um, and they put themselves in a position to, you know, to to earn a earn a double buy, and you know, you have to figure they're one of the favorites to what you know, if not the favorite to, obviously they're one of the favorites, but they might be the favorite to win the regular season. Um, and, and I don't know what else you know you can ask for from from a team other than being perfect and. Look, they've been close to it. They haven't really been smoked by anyone in conference. Um, they've done their work for the most part. Uh, you know, the Tech game, it's just about, you know, what teams are going to put that kind of effort and have that execution and hit a couple timely shots. Anyone can do yeah. it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, overall, like, yeah, they, go back to your first question. Yeah, the NC State game certainly, you know, to me, ended any reservations that might have popped up watching that tech game but um look there's some there's some tough games coming up you know some yeah. big games where i think you know this team will will kind of show exactly what they what they are but you know with duke with duke coming up virginia's probably going to be a three you know five six point favorite in that game which um, is just wild you know yeah i mean espn you know not that their fpi is the greatest but you know they give us a 75 percent chance to win that game i think kim palm has it like 69 64 or something yeah currently um, it's gets yeah, that's a um let's see i had to reload exciting podcasting yeah no huh. right now kim palm has 71 percent chance for virginia win Projected 67, 61, which speaking of Kempom, this is what I find interesting too, dude. Like if you go and look at the ACC as a whole, right? Right now he's got his, his algorithm has Virginia projected at 16 and four in the ACC. Nobody else at 15, everybody else, the the other three, you know, you know, real contenders, Pittsburgh, Clemson and Miami all at 14 and six. Um, you know, that to me, Considering UVA is only, it's not like even one of the, uh, you know, offense or defensively that they're, you know, top 15, top 10, top five. No, they're top 25 in both adjusted O and adjusted D, right? Yeah. Um, which yeah. really, I think, one, it shows you just how weird a year this is in the league. I, I think that the league is very talented. I'm not sure to what extent, especially watching that. I mean, that Carolina team should be way better than they are. I'm not sure what the problem is in Chapel Hill. And I'm, I'm just... <laughs> You know, it's like the whole adage, you know, when your your enemy is drowning, you know, don't, don't you know, what is it, throw them a rock or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not I'm not going to try to help the heels figure it out, but they they're in they're in a weird spot, man. Fifteen and nine overall, seven and six in the league. Um, it's just a very weird year in general. Before we get, I, I do want to spend a few minutes talking about Duke, but real quick before we do that, I think I want to talk about the Casey Marcel thing. Um, I, uh, I I'm not I'm not going to sit here. Um, and tell people not to boo things. Um, well, I don't ever boo children. That's mean. Um, you know, I get people that are, you know, feisty, especially cause you know, he's, he said a few things and that one story, I think that pack pride had where he's like, you know, I think this will be a better fit. And I'm like, I talked to you about fit so many times. And I heard, uh, Corey say it last night on the broadcast too, just about, you know, well, I think this style fits. I don't think that there was a human alive who saw takeover play and thought to themselves, you know what I think? I think Casey Marcel should play with a team that runs. Now, 
Maybe he decided along the way that he thought he'd have more fun in that, and the fun is what he needed. This, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna begrudge anybody who finds something that works for him and goes with it. Cool, more power to you, you know. Um, but the whole idea that like, you know, well, Virginia style, you know, dude, like that was that was it was like we ran so many versions of the same story that Bossy or whoever at the time would write. Um, that like back when Corey Evans was 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 with us. Right. And we write these stories like they'd have these things about like, you know, who, you know, best, you know, fit in the class or whatever. And it was always more sell in Virginia. Like the two just fit, fit together like peas and carrots. And so, uh, you know, so I, anyway, I got off on a tangent. But Tony, but Tony said that he, he thought NC State was a really good fit for him. <laughs> so, and, that's, and that's great. And you know what? More I think power you're just to Tony. To pluck I your think, nerve. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, more power to Tony. I, he and I can disagree. I, I think that if, if that was, if that's what works for him now, that's great. Um, I, I think that he was always going to be a guy who was better on the defensive end, who, you know, he, he certainly has put in the work to improve his shot, his consistency. That is really good for him. And I'm, and I'm glad to see it. Anyway, my bigger point though, is, is that I'm not going to be grudge folks. I'm not going to tell, you know, shake my finger at him and be like, nah, I don't boo dudes that you want to boo. You boo who you want to boo. Um, but I, I think what's interesting is that like, there's a little bit of like a um it's it's almost like it's like guys come to your school because your coaches thought they were good, right? And you know, maybe they leave because, you know, this didn't work out or you know, they want to play in a different system or you know, play hey, they want to play in general, right? There's a lot of reasons why guys transfer. Some of them might actually be legitimate, right? PT, fit, whatever, whatever. So it might, it, it's not necessarily guys don't transfer because they like hate it, right? It's not like they did any, you know what I'm saying? Like, and at the same time, so what I find interesting about it is that like folks are real quick to like sort of be salty about guys that leave. And I get it. You stuck in, especially the dudes who stick in the ACC. Like you leave and you stick in the ACC, you're, you're probably, you know, you should probably expect to get booed when you go back to that school, right? And I, again, I'm not going to tell anybody not to boo. But I just find the whole, it, like, we live in a different era now, right, where dudes are going to transfer a lot. And there's going to come a time soon where UVA is going to get a dude who played for another ACC team. Like, that's, it's going to be, like, and I don't mean, like, just was on the roster. I mean, like, was a dude who, like, put in minutes and then decided to to, to change up. Lively. It's going to happen. Is he coming? Who? This <laughs> lively coming from Duke. Is that really good? <laughs> no, you know, it's really funny. Before you said that, I thought you were going to say uh, Bobby Clintman. Because I still think he would be like the perfect fit uh, if he ever decides to leave Wake Forest. Um, but anyway, so anyway, I just thought it would be interesting um, to kind of talk for a few minutes about sort of Casey and like I I I covered that dude a lot in his recruit. I watched that dude so play so many games. What I find interesting is that like on that team, that takeover team was just absurdly like just crazy talented, and he didn't start. Like he came off the bench, but he was the glue guy. He was the guy that you could almost point to in a lot of those games that I saw them win. And he was the reason because he made timely plays, you know? So I'm glad to see him having success. And I understand why folks are salty. Um, I think the only thing I didn't like last night, and I want to get your point of view on the save. I thought he was a little bit of aloof to the whole thing. Like, I guess it just felt like maybe he, and I don't know if that was intentional to sort of like try to get some distance from it or whatever. But even like in the handshake line, he didn't seem to be 
Um, and I mean, granted, his team had just lost and it didn't go very well for him, right? Uh, and he'd be fair too. I guess he'd been booed most of the night, but yeah, yeah. he just didn't seem like you know. I don't know. I just I guess I just kind of assumed that there would be more love after the game, and he just sort of looked like he was sort of going through the motions. And again, that's just me watching. I you know I did I I, I wasn't able to make it to JPJ, so you know. Folks want to throw stones at me. That's fine. I just, I'm just curious to get your point of view on sort of like the way it all played out and um, how you feel about, um, yeah, all that. I don't know. Like I've never been a big fan of booing college athletes, but I will say that has changed. And this doesn't pertain to Casey, but when you start, you know, when you can make money because of who you are, as far as I'm concerned, you're you're open to be booed now. Um, so I don't have a problem with the fans booing. I think there were some, you know, some derogatory chants towards him that, you know, aren't really necessary, but whatever. It's college sports. I've heard a lot worse many years ago. So it's nothing new. Um, you know, so, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I didn't get the aloof sense, um, but maybe it's because I wasn't really paying attention in the hand handshake line the first time I watched it um, until he got to Tony and Tony obviously like, loved on him and then went and see, I think that's I think that's exactly what it was is it like he Tony was excited to see him but I didn't get the sense that like he that that was reciprocated right like no it and, almost well, I don't know how, like awkward for Tony that Tony was like really excited to like yeah but they excited, saw him last you know? year you know so that's I mean fair. maybe that all happened last year I need to go back and see how they interacted it but you know I'm not really keen to go watch that game again um <laughs> that's fair but no, I think in the way he played, I think you could feel that he wanted to show out because yeah. I mean, I tweeted it, but he, you know, he never made four threes no, as a Cavalier, no. much less at home. And I, um, I also real want to clear, I, I I tweeted something after he fouled out, and I I didn't. I, it, I think some people thought I was like I was. I swear to, I wasn't taking. I wasn't trying to be. I wasn't trying <laughs> to take a shot. I just like to, and you know, it's going to go down. Like I just meant like he had a really good game, and they're going to lose. Like I didn't mean it. Like you know, I mean he had. He had played a lot of games in JPJ, and he had easily his best game there. I didn't. I promise, I didn't mean it like snarkily, or like yeah. super snarkily. Um, hey, but. Yeah, I didn't take it that way. I think you're right. Um, Very good. But uh, yeah, he. Uh, you know, I thought he played well, and you kind of mentioned how he, how he's a glue guy for team takeover. That's kind of who he is for this team. You know, he's yeah. there's more talented guards on the roster. Yep. Um, and he's kind of the guy who settles them down. So yeah, I mean, I mean. I, yeah, I think you just got to get used to it, you know. Yep. Um, and that's exactly I don't know if I ever where I will. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be look, we're going to have the same conversation when we play NC State in football. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's very look, true. It just it is what it is, you know. Um, just the the way things are. I think you, yeah. you hope, like, you know, as a Virginia fan, if you want to, if you want to complain about the transfer portal, you know, if anything, the transfer portal has been a godsend for Virginia. It really has. I mean, let's be real. Okay. And I, I, look, just, just you and me talking. Okay. The rest of the world's not listening. Okay. <laughs> but like almost every one of these situations, it ends up being much better off for UVA. Right. Like every yeah, one no, of these, yeah, frankly, like think about yeah, like who Franklin, they traded. So. Exactly. Like think about the dudes that they kind of gave up to get the guys that they got. Like typically this works out well for everybody. You know, Casey's in in Raleigh and clearly playing well. He likes it there. He feels like he fits. That's I'm you know seriously. I don't. I'm not no snark. Like really, am excited for him and and happy that it's working out. Um, I get why people are frustrated when guys you know transfer in conference. And I'm again, I'm like you. I'm not going to tell anybody not to to make their opinions heard. Right. Um, I just it's very interesting though that like, you know, 
if you think about it, like you kind of wanted him to leave because what it did was it freed up more opportunities for UVA to upgrade. And in these situations, typically they always do. Um, I've been very interested to, to hear, even though BVP hasn't hit like a whole bunch of threes of late, he hasn't been, you know, scorching the nets. Every coach that comes into a post game talks about him and how important he is for UVA because of he's a gravity player, right? Like, you're, you always have to be sort of aware of who, where he where he is on the floor. And that, you know, like uh, Mike Young the other day talked about, like, you know, they're very aware of where B- Vanderplas is because he he is such a mismatch potentially for other bigs that if you don't if you don't want to count for him, you know, he can he's going to stick one for you. Um, and, and and if he, you know, gets on a little bit of a roll that and it and what it feels like to me is that like, you're you're okay with certain things. What you can't allow are things you can't um, not necessarily things you can't control. You you can't allow um, mismatches that you see coming, right? Like if if Beekman just has a great game or Franklin just has a great game, that's one thing, right? You can only do with so much you tip your cap, but you can't lose Banderplas because if you give him wide open threes and he hits, then that's on you. You see what I mean? Like he's he yeah. can hurt you because he's a gravity player and, and guys just sort of have to follow him. But, like, even upgrading with him, like, typically these situations work out pretty well for UVA. So I understand why folks are salty and guys leave and they go to other conference schools. But at, at the end of the day, like, Virginia's much better off in a variety of different ways. Um, and that's just sort of the nature of the beast when it comes to the portal. Like, Virginia has done a really nice job of, you know, sort of um, winning the trade, so to speak, in all of these situations. Yeah, and, and like, I'm not saying that, Franklin is better than Casey right now. I mean, I think if anything, it's probably a push. Um, but the difference is Franklin wants to be here <laughs> and, and Casey didn't. So if you can get a push out of that situation, you just trade a guy and now you got a guy who's all yeah. in versus the guy who was not. That's a well, plus I'll, for your program. Put, I'll put it like this. Uh, if Casey Morcel's playing there and Armand Franklin's not, all my cousin uh, Armand jokes are null and void. So I would much rather yeah. have Armand. But all right, real quick. Yeah. So Duke comes to town Saturday afternoon. Um, it's uh, I get I guess we're going to podcast. I mean, it's the Louisville game. Will we podcast on Tuesday? Maybe we save that for Thursday and post it on Friday next week. But anyway, the um, this might be the only the only. Yeah, probably not. We probably will do both. We're not going to spend any time on Louisville because they're terrible. Um, but obviously, Duke is a very different animal when the the Blue Devils are playing well. Um, they have talent. The Roach Kid is is back sort of in the mix. We don't know what's going to happen with Dariq Whitehead. Um, you know, his strained calf muscle, I believe it is. Um, he did not play uh, against um, Miami. He did, I think he took, did he did make the trip, and I think he did go through pregame again like he did against Carolina. Um, it feels like he'll, he'll probably try to go. I don't know how many minutes he can give him. But I don't know how much he changes the equation in this matchup, Dave. I, I, I think it really comes down to Filipowski and Lively. Like, are you able to to essentially to do, um, to do to Duke what what you did to NC State? And what I mean by that is, kind of disrupt them enough that they kind of can't recover. Uh, Filipowski is going to get his. I mean, he's a he's got a lot of length. He uh, he has touch. He's also going to he's going to put Shedrick in a in a bad spot a bunch of times in terms of foul trouble. So it's going to be imperative, I think, for Shedrick to to stay on the floor. Do you think – let's start here. Do you feel like Tony's going to switch up the starting lineup or will he ride with the small ball group and then bring Shed off the bench? I mean, I think he'd probably ride with the small ball group um, just because I think – I think with Duke, um, 
you're going to want to put points on the board. And I think he'd rather see if, Hey, let's, yeah, let's see if this thing is clicking. Um, but yeah, I think it would be just like the NC state game. It'd be a quick whistle. If Jaden or BVP, whichever one is, you know, if either is struggling, like Shedrick will be in quick. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see Dunn and Shedrick in together. We'll probably see Shedrick and Cafro together at some point. Um, Look, Duke's interesting. They're they're not a very good three point shooting team, um, and you know it feels like watching them. You know, Lively kind of changes the equation a little bit because he can. You know, I think defensively they were average. They're above average with him. You know, Lively makes them a much better defensive group. So offensively, to me, you just you know you make Filipowski score sixty, you stop everyone else. <laughs> you make him score sixty. Well, you know what's interesting. Yeah, I don't is know that, like, there's any other guys who can who can really light it up. So if you can, if you can keep the rest of the team kind of locked down, make Filipowski do everything. Yeah, no, I I don't think that that's necessarily off the mark. I think one of the problems with that is, it's not if they had just Filipowski or just Lively, but because they also have the young kid. I say kid, he's like a senior, um, but because they have all three of them. This is going to be a different challenge because I feel like Virginia is going to have to at times put it to you like this. Either they're going to have to stay small and PVP is going to have to just, as I mentioned earlier, gravity, right? Pull dudes with him and he's going to have to hit some shots to stay on the floor. Um, or Virginia's going to have to be is going to have to go big again because here's the thing. That Cavaliers have not played a lot of teams this year that have a bona fide rim protector, right? A dude who just finds ways to block shots, right? And Virginia right now is scoring a whole lot in and around the bucket with lots of scoops and lots of layups and stuff, right? Like not necessarily just, you know, alley-oops and whatnot. I'm talking about like uh, Clark and Beekman and even to some extent Gardner, right? Try Like Lively is a different animal. You're going to have to, you're going to have to run some stuff to get to basically sort of Make sure that you're sh- where you're where you're hoping to get your shot is away from him, right? Um, yeah. And I also think too that one of the pieces of this is like, like they are filthy talented. Like I know they're not playing like it right now as a team, but Filipowski and Roach and Proctor and Mitchell and um, Lively and even hell the Blake's kid and the and Grandison who played from at Illinois, like they are really talented. And when you play a really talented team, even if they haven't necessarily put it together, like you're always like one good segment away from them sort of clicking. And I'm not saying that you necessarily need to be worried about that. I'm just saying that like that's a you, you have to take the fight to them. You can't just sort of let it happen. Um, Roach is probably because of the matchup with Clark. I, I'm really interested. You know, I feel like they list him at like what six two. There's no chance he's six two, um, but like. That's a really interesting match because both of those guys probably don't play against dudes roughly their size very often. Um, we've seen Kihei really get the best of Sean Padula this year, and then obviously Padula had a hell of a um, a game in the rematch. Um, so I'm really curious to see that matchup between those two. Um, yeah. And I, I'm I, interested I to like, see how we attack them. You know? No, that's yeah. Go ahead. Cause, I want to hear that because because you know that we're running a lot of middle triangle stuff, and I don't know if you can do that if you know as well against Duke with with the bigs uh, with two bigs who are. Yeah, not just big, but agile, right? Um, they're almost, you know, big. They're big men, but I mean, I, I don't want to over exaggerate their athleticism, but they almost move like wings. So, you know, if they can they can switch off and kind of keep that paint crowded. 
you know, Virginia, a lot of their success, like you said, has been getting to the rim, but it's also been touching the paint and kicking out and, or touching the paint, and getting that little drop off to Jaden. Um, I would, I, mean, I wouldn't be shocked to see us run a lot of four out stuff. Um, maybe, you know, some five out with the small ball lineup. Cause I think that's where Virginia has an advantage. Um, you know, especially if you've got, you know, Franklin or, or, um, um, Reese kind of isolate it, let them make a move and then draw a big and kick. Um, so it'll be interesting. Uh, I think it, they're a de- much different team. Like I think Virginia is a better basketball team, but this yeah, might be a fair. game where the matchup is very weird. Um, yeah, that's very fair. Virginia's going to have to steal some minutes with, with BVP or Gardner guarding yeah. a big. Yep. Um, and those minutes are going to at least have to be a push, you know? Yep. Um, and that's going to be a challenge. And if you're John Shire going into this, you have to start. I mean, you might want to get greedy and think about trying to play both of them together, but man, you really put some pressure on UVA if you can have Filipowski and, and Lively sort of like all, one of them always on the floor because it does kind of change the calculus a little bit. I'll tell you this. What I think Virginia has to have in this game in order for, for them to be successful is you, you can't you can't have another kind of stinker um, from Armand Franklin. Um, and I don't mean that from the standpoint of like, I'm not saying he's not playing hard. I'm saying like from a production standpoint, like two points on 0 of 5 shooting from the field like he did against NC State, you can't ha- he's going to need to be in that double-figure range, right? They're not going to be able to get by with shooting 25% from three against this team, right? You're going to yeah. have to hit some threes and stretch them out. You're going to, I mean, if BVP could hit three or four of them, man, you're in a much better spot. In and of it's just just simply, because, not just from the point standpoint, but also just from the fact that he's the guy doing it because then Duke has to change up some of what it wants to do. Yeah, and it, in Virginia's fairness, I think they shot better than 25% from three. Some of those threes were kind of in that weird segment where the, it was kind of a scramble drill going on. They were up against the three. Look, they, I mean, up against the shot clock. They count as three-point shots, obviously, but you know, I think they were at 50% in the first half, one for two, and then um, McNeely hit the big one kind yeah. of at the end to kind of put it away again. But you're right. They're going to have to make threes because I, I don't think if, if Virginia can get hot from three in this game, I don't think Duke can keep up, um, which is a bold statement, I guess. But um, <laughs> Ken Palm seems to agree with me. Yeah. Like this is a game where, like, yeah, it it's just going to be who can you keep on the floor? What often, yeah. you know, what five can you keep on the floor? And because you've got to have Franklin Reese, Kihei, and, and, Isaac out there to shoot threes at some point during the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be a weird one. The Dunn, the Dunn piece is interesting to me because I think yeah. he, you know, if he plays to his potential and look, and I, he's, he's a first year playing against Duke, he's going to be all amped up. Um, he can give you a little more versatility and still allow you to, to guard the bigs and play, you know, five out with a dribble drop threat. Yeah. One thing, and we'll, we'll wrap up on after this, um, that Duke is not like, Duke right now, right? Right now, Kim Palm has them 35. They're the uh, the Cowboys. The Blue Devils are unranked. Um, this is not like a number two or number three. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is not a typical Duke team. I'm curious to see if that really changes things for McNeely and Dunn in terms of, you know, you mentioned, you know, kind of amped up to play it. It's it's going to it's gonna feel like a big game because it's Duke and it's the afternoon on Saturday and Virginia hasn't had a whole lot of those kind of um, – home games right they had one against boston college on a saturday um they had the one um with florida state before the first of the year on a saturday but they played at georgia tech on a saturday they played oh yeah they did have syracuse at home but they don't get a lot of these like big marquee matchups at home on a saturday 
Um, you know, normally it happens like it happened with, with Carolina where you get it on a Tuesday night at home and then you're playing there on a Saturday, right? That just seems to be the way it works out. So I'm curious to see too, like, you know, cause I mean, he's a guy who can change the calculus a little bit just because of his athleticism. And when he's playing well and he's all over the place, he can really give people like a headache, a little bit like lively in the sense that like springy long guys, you know, regardless of how long they are typically give you a headache. So, um, Will certainly be an interesting to watch. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't want to add ten minutes to the conversation, but I, I feel like it it needs to be stated because we haven't really talked about it enough, and that's how much uh, Isaac Neely has improved. Oh yeah, completely, um, completely like, agree. You know, I need. I know he's not getting huge minutes, um, and he's not putting up you know double digits every game, but he has become like efficient and. You know he's starting he's starting to show that athleticism that we knew he had from his highlights, but it makes him a different player. You know, kind of you saw it in the block last night when he rebounds, you can see it like that boy can jump. Um, and now he's starting to get the confidence to use his dribble, um, kind of get into his you know his little one on one package. Um, you know, and he's kind of emerged quietly because everyone else has been playing pretty well, and it just gives Virginia more depth in the backcourt. And as we know, like. More guards, the better. Well, and and real quick on that, um, I don't know if I've ever seen a guy play to his role as quickly as this kid has. Like, iMac is, like, I feel like he's doing exactly what Tony wants him to do, doing it exactly the way he wants him to do it, and doing it consistently. Like, think about a guy who has fit his role as perfectly as iMac has fit this thing. Right. He does. He's so I feel like one of his most underrated qualities is he's very good at understanding who he is and who he's not. He doesn't try to be anybody he, he, he isn't. He just goes out there and he plays his game exactly the way that Virginia needs him to play it. Right. He does exactly what they need him to do, exactly how he needs him to do it. I, I just think that the fit, you know, that brings the conversation um, full circle. I feel like the fit is perfect, right? Like in terms of his his complete understanding of what Virginia requires of him, and he goes out there and he does it. And I love the fact that he that he, I mean, he started shooting uh, basically from the word go. Like he, it's not like he worked his way up there and then all. Like he has had confidence in himself, and he's continued to to show that. Uh, with regularity and that's not I mean like a lot of times what you get from a kid you know in his first year is you 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 know guys play for a little while and they hit the wall and they struggle through it and they get on the other side iMac I feel like has done a really nice job he's like slowly and consistently ramped up and ramped up and ramped up and ramped up and now he's at a spot where like man you really can kind of look to him to sort of get you know try to get something off the bounce and that's you know, he's also, you know, he's playing pretty nice defense. He had that nice block against NC State. He rebounds well. He just has a really good feel, I think, for what um, what everybody needs him to do. And he's very comfortable doing that. Like, I feel like like he reminds me in that way a lot of, like, Kihei and the national championship team. Like, Kihei basically yeah, was exactly. like, I'm going to do exactly what the team needs me to do, and I'm going to do it consistently, all like, all the time. And I'm just going to keep doing this. And that's what... Or these older dudes right will beat me. <laughs> right, exactly. Um all right, I think that's a good place to put a pin in it. Um, I want to thank everybody out there for um, giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast. If you haven't already, um, give us a rating or review there. We very much appreciate it. And, of course, you can check out the website, CavsCorner.com, if you haven't. Um, lots of stuff will get you ready for, for Saturday. 
Um, I guess Ferber will be back at some point um, in there. So uh, I want to thank My Perfect Franchise for their support of the website and of the show. You can visit MyPerfectFranchise.net. For more information, you can find Freedom Your Next Venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. I want to thank, like I said, everybody out there for supporting the show. And, of course, I want to thank Dave for giving graciously his time. It's a very busy season for my dude, so I very much appreciate all that he does. So for David Spence, I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CastCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon.